Listener supported. WNYC Studios. The first draft will be absolute trash. That is a given. I had to accept that um, pretty, pretty quickly. And the second one will be infinitesimally less trash. Uh, the third will be a little better, and you'll be get it'll get better because your editor will give you notes. Maybe you realize something in the shower, and like you, you're like, ah, oh, we have to change everything. Getting to the heart of a story can take a lot of work and time. I'm Tanzina Vega, and this is Work It, the podcast, a compilation of some of the best moments from the live event. In this episode, find out how Radiolab producers thought and rethought about how to create a new conversation about the widely covered topic of consent in a post-Me Too moment. Hey, I'm Becca Bressler. And I'm Becca Hockney. Uh, and we're with Radiolab. Um, and first, we just want to thank everyone for coming. Uh, both Bethel and I actually have only been with the show for a little over a year. Um, and we're super excited to be here and learn from all of you as well. So thank you to the Work It staff for having us. Uh, so why we are here? We are here to tell you about what we figured out in that year. And it's the thing that makes or breaks a story for Radiolab. Uh, and it's a really simple idea, but we apply it to every step of the story making process. And we thought that we'd share it with you today. Surprise! <laughs> uh, that is the North Star, the Beyonce at Coachella for Radiolab. Um, and we're gonna, yeah, explain that. Yeah, today uh, with the story that both of us worked on, we wanna show you how this lovely thing worked its way into our story. Um, so we were on a team that put together a series, a three-part series that explores consent called In the Know. Um, and it was inspired by and featured the work of uh, a brilliant radio producer named Caitlin Prest um, and her team over at The Heart. They put together the No series. Um, it was this really gorgeous and moving exploration of, of this topic. Um, has anyone here listened to the No series? You want to give it a Thanks round of applause? Uh, if you haven't heard of the No series, it's amazing uh, and that's like the first thing you should do when you leave um, it really impacted us and we thought that more people should hear about these extremely personal moments um, that you know most people wouldn't have access to uh, that talks a little bit about what it's like to be in a sexual experience that is going wrong um, and how to navigate situations like that so we thought, like, let's just tell our bosses about it and have them feature it because we've done that with shows in the past, like 99% Invisible, 99% Invisible. That always sounds so hard to get out of my mouth. But um, and uh, what else? Reply all a ton of other shows. Like we've just straight up put it on our feed, and we thought, let's do that with this too. Um, but actually, to our surprise, once Jad listened to it, he came back to us and asked us to do original reporting on this topic. The thing about the No series is that it actually came out before Me Too happened. Um, and so he was really curious kind of what these conversations looked like in this really fraught time in the wake of Me Too. And so In the No was born. Um, it ended up including clips from the heart in episode one, and then our own reporting in episodes two and three. Uh, and it took us seven months to report and produce it, uh, and we did it all while Me Too news continued to break all through the Kavanaugh hearings and the aftermath of that. Uh, so it's pretty emotionally taxing, uh, but we, we made it through, and we're gonna like share what we learned. Yeah, we wanna show you how looking for the surprise um, in this story helped us find something new to say about what was a much buzzed about topic. 
And it would probably be helpful to explain exactly what we mean when we say that. So here are the pitch guidelines for Radiolab. You can find all of this on the Radiolab website under pitch us with an exclamation point. Um, so basically stories should just be concrete, visceral, surprising, elicit mixed feelings, and be something you can access. Um, but uh, by the way, like now that you know all that we want out of a pitch, this is our pitch email. So please definitely pitch, pitch us. us. It's uh, radiolabpitches at gmail.com. We read the inbox. Um, all right, you got that down? OK. Uh, so when we were thinking about doing a story that deals with sex and consent, we actually zoomed in on two of these, two of these things in particular. Uh, it needs to be surprising, really surprising. Close your eyes and ask yourself, honestly, does it really surprise you? Like in your most cynical of minds, uh, make you think things you haven't really thought of before. Um, and I think the second one is Surprise's Cousin. It, is, um, it helps a lot if you aren't sure what to think or how to feel about it, and it should make you and then all of us think hard and feel conflicted at least for a little while. And if you ever had that cognitive dissonance of like suddenly getting your worldview completely flipped on its head, um, you know that this, that's the feeling we're after. Um, this feeling like a story is getting complicated in ways that you've never thought it could before. So we knew that if we were gonna do a story about Me Too, it couldn't be about what we all knew was really terrible and horrible. Um, we had to make it an exploration into the part of this topic was, that was a little bit more difficult to process. Um, so how do we say something new about it? What felt non-obvious about the news that we were reading? And for us, what really stuck out to us were these much grayer and nuanced situations. So uh, take Aziz Ansari, for example, and that article that came out about him. Uh, was it sexual assault? What made it hard for her to leave his apartment? There was just so much to think about and feel confused about when reading that article. Um, and so that gray space and in all stories really is, is very fertile ground for discovery for us. So we're going to take you through the Radiolab production process and then through that process we'll show you where we applied this idea into our two, these two ideas into our stories. Um, and maybe along the way you can pick up some of those tools and uh, questions that we asked ourselves to help you break new ground in your own reporting and production. So. This is a simplified version of the Radiolab production process. Uh, this is the crazy version. I'm not gonna <laughs> make your brain break like Jeremy Baramy with Chidi. Um, so we'll just concentrate on this one. Um, and so uh, the first part we'll start out on is what we learned from gathering while, while we learned, sorry. First of all, <laughs> this whole thing doesn't include like final mixing and uh, like final QCs and all that just for space and what we're gonna talk about today. Um, but this first bit like about gathering the raw tape uh, was mainly Becca's jam. She and uh, our colleague Shima Oliayi uh, worked on one particular part of that process that, was, that we thought was pretty interesting. So she's gonna take it over from here until she's done and then I'm gonna take over again. I cool. appreciate you saying Shima's last name because I always get it wrong, Oliyai, so I don't have to do it. Like Hawaii. Dad um, says it wrong in the episode. It's very embarrassing. So. Um, I do want to give a quick shout out to Shima. Uh, she couldn't be here, but she was my co-reporter um, in this series, and I really am speaking for the both of us today. Um, okay, so with an issue like consent, uh, very widely talked about today, but kind of like as I was saying before, we wanted to get into sort of the Aziz Ansari territory. 
Um, and it didn't feel like there was a ton of talk about how truly confusing navigating sex can be. Um, so we thought it might be interesting to get college-age men and women together who maybe are trying to figure sex out in the wake of Me Too to help us figure out where the root of some of this confusion comes from. Um, okay, so we went to three different cities. Uh, we got three groups, well, six men and women together, um, and we tried to make these groups as diverse as possible. We were thinking about geography, race, sexual orientation. Uh, we actually recruited some students in each of these cities to help us put together these groups. Um, so our first move was to put Caitlin's work in front of these college students. That was the work that really inspired us and we thought that it would be a really great, uh, it would help jumpstart this conversation. So that's at, this is actually how that went when we did that. How do you guys feel? <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like that aged me. <laughs> that was exhausting. Um, so if you didn't catch that last part, she said it was exhausting. Um, and Caitlin's piece is, is beautiful, but it's also really heavy. Uh, and we found that starting a conversation with a room full of exhausted people wasn't the greatest start. Um, we also learned that sort of by sharing someone else's story first, you were sort of priming them for a very particular type of conversation. So we heard a lot of people who were uh, talking about Caitlin, what they thought about her experiences, uh, reflecting on which of their own experiences echoed hers. Um, and so that, it, it kind of kept people from talking strictly from their own experiences. And we also found by using Caitlin's piece first, by the end of, um, we shared the second episode, Inheritance, uh, she really talks about this concept of consent. And what we found is that by putting this word consent in front of a group at the very beginning also led to a really particular type of conversation. Um, we found that using a word like that so early on uh, made it so that people were maybe more likely to regurgitate things that they had heard, things they had said before, and they, they, they were kind of staying away from their own, the nuances of their own personal experiences. Jad actually shared with us that after our first stop, he uh, did the same thing, he shared Caitlin's piece, and from his perspective, it sounded like a lot of the young men were saying what they thought they were supposed to say instead of actually how they felt. Okay, so we went to our next stop. We decided to change up our approach a little bit, um, and we want to share that with you. Uh, who here is like has a thing with someone, but they're not in a relationship? I do. You do. Yeah. <laughs> so can you tell us like when did it? When did it? Who? Who's this? Uh, where did you meet this person? So I like cringe every time I hear myself ask that question, and I'm very grateful that it got cut from the final episode. Um, but the difference between the two really struck us. Like the energy in the room shifted, these women felt excited to talk. Um, and this was our way into moving into this conversation, into these very like nuanced gray spaces, which is where we wanted to drive the conversation all along. And something else that we found really interesting that came out of this approach is that it actually took about an hour. We looked back at our transcripts after the fact. It took about an hour before the word consent even emerged in the room. People were strictly speaking from their own experiences and, and puzzling through them and, and feeling confused. And that's actually where we wanted to go all along. The next thing we do like after we gather raw tape is that we make selects of that tape. Uh, and when I first got to Radio Lab, I, I heard this word being thrown around and I had no idea what that meant. But uh, essentially it's just taking a very long interview and uh, smushing it down into the most important bits for the story. Um, but with Radio Lab stories, you're also selecting for stuff I've heard 
Jad affectionately referred to as little shit. So little shit is tape that may feel completely irrelevant to a story, or maybe even feels completely disruptive, like you've just thrown people off, but it might reveal little quirks about your characters. Maybe somebody has an adorable laugh or like talks to their dog in a very funny way, but um, there are these tiny moments when you see something really revealing about someone that they didn't actually mean to reveal. Uh, so here's an example of that that made it into episode three. Um, we've just heard from college women cap and like capture some of their frustrations with like sex culture right now, and then suddenly we hear this. Whoa. Hello? You got a buzz there? Oh yeah, it's like the B-52 bomber buzz. Oh, that sounds better. All right. Okay, hi. Yay. Yay. Hi. We did it. We did it. <laughs> we did it. Don't you feel like we're, I always feel like after these technical snafus, there's like a bonding that happens. Do we, I feel bonded <laughs> to you guys? Well, it's actually it. a statistically true thing that people suffering together feel bonded to one another. Well, there you go. Who are you, by the way? What do you do? <laughs> My name is Julia Fennell. I'm an associate professor of sociology at Gallaudet University, and I've been studying the BDSM community since about 2012. So Julia reveals a little story related to that moment that tells you something about the kind of person that she is before she tells you anything about herself. So she cites statistics, all right? She's really smart and academic. Um, she knows something about group dynamics that says something to like what she's about to tell us. And it's a nod to like what she's specifically about to talk about, shared experiences and what they do to us. So now the listener gets the satisfaction of the puzzle pieces coming together, and that feels really nice. Um, so it's subtle, but um, if you find little shit that helps you when you're trying to settle in with a character, it can really add to the texture of your piece. Um, so, storyboard. Um, okay, so the next thing that we do is we storyboard, which means we listen to all the selects of the raw tape that we've gathered, uh, and we try to shape a story out of it. Um, it sounds really simple, but we actually go back and forth and back and forth and pull people into rooms to have conversations throughout the entire process about updating the storyboard, rejiggering it, and all that sort of stuff. Um, so in this first stage for this, pro uh, for this project, when we listen back to the selects from our group interviews, um, we were listening for moments that truly surprised us. Um, so for these groups, we started to think of them like, like a Greek chorus. Um, the group in a classical Greek Greek play that sort of pops in and out um, and expresses a collective view or feeling. Uh, and, and they really helped us understand the wider world of this conversation. Um, and it was super useful for us to think about where someone deviated from this chorus and where the voices sort of crescendoed together around an idea uh, or a theme or a problem that maybe hadn't been solved. Um, so those both pointed us to places we knew to think of as important and new. So we want to show you a couple questions we sort of asked ourselves. Um, where are the crescendos and what are the outlier voices saying? So our chorus at one point in the conversation uh, was talking about how hard it is to say no or stop when they're close to having sex or they've already begun and they realize that it's not what they want to be doing. Um, but then one woman brought up this anecdote that everyone started rallying around. Like I was hooking up with him, but I was like, obviously I was like super cross and everything. And then in the room, we were like, I was almost like, 
yeah, fuck it. Like, I'm just going to do it. But then he was like, oh, like, I don't have a condom. And it was almost like a relief because then I was like, okay, like, I'm getting the fuck out of here. Like, I'm not going to have sex with this guy. Like, this is my perfect out. Like, I can, I'm leaving, like, right now. Uh, so for these women, we realized that there was a script in, a, in their head for a situation like this. Uh, where there wasn't a condom. And when, when, you're talk about safe when you learn about safe sex, this is what you learn, use a condom. Um, but there isn't a script for saying no to having sex that you just don't want. Um, at least I know when I learned about safe sex, it didn't really cover emotional or psychological safety. And so uh, this same script didn't really apply um, for these women, and there isn't one that you can sort of grab onto in these situations. So this was sort of where the group uh, rallied around an idea and told us something new that we hadn't thought about before. Um, and and they, they were actually the ones that brought up this idea of a missing script. And in this way, this group dynamic um, from a group interview took on this problem-solving flavor, which I think is really useful. Uh, people just like making connections and sharing. And I found it to be a really useful way to sort of move a, move a conversation forward. Um, and this, this concept of a script is actually what led us, this didn't make it into our piece, um, but we talked to app makers who are trying to design uh, like mobile apps to help you have this conversation before you have sex. If you're curious, look up We Consent. It's kind of an interesting concept. Um, okay, so our next question, what are the outlier voices saying? Uh, we found someone who actually sort of proposed a solution to this problem that was brought up in the room, one woman just said, hey, I'm hearing what all of you are saying, uh, but I practice BDSM, and um, consent is really well advocated for in that community. Uh, and you are constantly needing to ask people if they're okay with what's happening. Um, and that is actually what led us down the path into looking into the BDSM community. We talked to Julie, who you heard from before. Um, we talked to a couple that practices BDSM. We actually went to a workshop ourselves. Um, and we really looked at how consent works in that subculture. And this was the bulk of our third episode. There are a couple of pitfalls um, with group interviews that we thought are worth mentioning. Um, even though we tried to diversify these groups, by the end of the four hours that we talked to them, uh, they took on a, a, a flavor that felt kind of like us versus them, men versus women, masculinity versus femininity, and um, it happened towards the end, but it is just something to, to look out for, and, and sometimes people that might have controversial viewpoints might feel a little nervous sharing those in front of the group. Um, but speaking of saying things that you might be afraid to say, one quick note that I want to make is while putting this story together when you're in the storyboard uh, process or even in the reporting process, you're also thinking about what voices are missing. Like, what do you need to really flesh out this story and make it surprising? And so one way that we did this was we questioned our premise. Um, so f for me, at the beginning, I think one of my assumptions is that there's absolutely nothing wrong with affirmative consent. It seemed so clearly good and right. Um, and so we tried to step back and find like a really thoughtful person who could articulate well why maybe this isn't the best solution. Um, and this is where we found Hannah Stotland. She's an educational consultant. She uh, mainly uh, helps young men who are kicked off of campus for sexual misconduct violations reapply to school. So she helps them write um, their check the box essay, which is essentially like, were you kicked off campus? Yes, all right, tell us about why. Um, and we had her walk us through some of her grayer cases. 
And we found that she was just a, a really surprising character that forced us to see gray area where we hadn't really seen it before. Um, and it actually led to a pretty electric conversation with Caitlin Prest. And this is our second episode, is the two of those women talking. Um, sort of about affirmative consent and questions of culpability. And it's, it, it was a really great conversation. Questioning the premise also forced us to sort of stop and ask ourselves, who might be standing on the outskirts of this mainstream conversation, like waving their hands, saying, yoo-hoo, look over here, like you're kind of all missing this really big problem and this is an unproductive conversation for X, Y, and Z reason. And, and thinking about that led us to a professor named Joe Fischel. So Joe actually wrote a book called Screw Consent. Um, and he shared with us that he thought consent was actually the wrong word. So, and he gave us a really interesting example, which I want to share here, which is about Louis C.K. And you look at that, uh, you look at what Louis C.K. did, and a lot of the reporting that came out about it shared that uh, he asked for the affirmative consent of women before he started masturbating in front of them. Um, and so when you think about consent in, in that case, you realize it's not actually doing all the work that you want it to do. Um, it's not keeping this like truly awful thing from happening. Uh, and, and we found, and he, and he said that consensual there's plenty of consensual sex out there that's still unwanted and bad and violating for people. Um, and we found this to be really surprising. And this is actually where we landed our third episode. Uh, so these were just a few questions that we asked ourselves or formats you might consider using to help you uh, find something new to say or find surprising things about your topic. All right, so um, another thing you want to think about in the storyboard process is the overall mood and emotional, emotional arc of the story, that you're, this journey that you're about to take a listener on. Um, so back in episode three, we present the BDSM world as this ecosystem and this sort of utopia where people can, like, at least in the end, protect themselves emotionally. Uh, so we planned, like, very deliberately for the mood to sort of seem like a bit of that utopia and then have that same person who created that utopia for us like help us crash it down um, and show us the pitfalls that exist there. Um, the thing is, it's really hard to be able to map that mood if uh, you are using scripts. So one thing I learned once I got to Radiolab is this. Trust the words and don't, and, uh, don't trust the words, sorry, <laughs> it's total opposite. Uh, and trust the tape. So we don't use scripts. We, transcribe our tape to figure out where things were said and when to easily find it again. Um, but we don't reorder acts and tracks in a Google Doc. Uh, and that's because you have no idea what tone or mood someone is using while they're saying the words that they're saying. Um, and maybe someone says something that looks really boring on the page, but how they're saying it uh, and the way their voice cracks a bit or like, the emotion that they're using or the dismissive way they're talking about something doesn't come through. Um, and maybe you look at your transcript and you see what looks like a money quote, but the way that they're saying it is really deflating um, and doesn't capture exactly the, the mood that you want to set. Um, so words lie, but tape don't lie. <laughs> so in order to know the essence of the tape, uh, you kind of have to like be working with it constantly. Uh, and that brings us, Shakira brings us, to a tape string out. 
So uh, a tape string out is what happens after you storyboard, and it's a bit like what it sounds. You've like listened to all of your selects, you know the logic of the story, and then you sort of want to, and you have the idea of the moods you want to evoke, and you've created a rough order in which the voices and the moods are going to go, and so you plaster on the tape to reflect that. Um, and there's another trick to the string out that helps you elicit surprise and help you move, helps you move through a journey. Uh, and it's something I didn't fully understand until I submitted a string out to this story. And uh, my editor, Soren Wheeler, uh, he <laughs> sent me notes. And I want to share a bit of those notes with you. So uh, he said, when considering tape, to pay, uh, pay careful attention to what it's doing. Some of the tape that I included was proclaiming and blaming and giving lessons. And the real challenge here is to create a sequence that poses questions, describes situations that are a problem, and then goes looking for solutions, then wonder about those solutions, and then give a new and then provide like a new question. So that's a thing that's going to drive people from one thing to the next. Uh, so to back explain a little bit. When I got my hands on all this material and a bunch of brilliant young people talking about what they find right and wrong about their sex lives, um, I really wanted to create something. I like, couldn't wait to show the world. I was like, this is how consent stuff should work. Uh, so in the string out, I like, kind of dipped my toes into what was confusing, and then I ran back out just to say, like, this isn't that hard. <laughs> like, Just listen and be respectful during sex. Uh, so in the words of a song I found and actually inserted into the first string out, if you're not sure it's not rape, don't do it. <laughs> um, but in the end, like this approach kind of didn't give the listener that sense of um, satisfaction in terms of understanding the problem more deeply and what we were after. And so uh, we wanted to focus our attention on what makes it both surprising and difficult. And telling people how to feel doesn't make for good surprising storytelling for Radiolab. Uh, I think there's a place for it, for sure, uh, for those voices to exist out there. But in what we're after, it doesn't exactly give it to us. So that the, that's going to give your story momentum is like the dissatisfaction of having all of the answers all at once. Um, and that momentum to feel like you're getting closer to maybe what is the answer. Um, so we have to respect the difficulty of something that's complicated, even though it can be so easy to try to build a world where everyone does everything right. <laughs> uh, so you might be wondering uh, why, off to the next thing, uh, why there's an asterisk next to drafts. And that's because there's so many drafts. Um, if I were to extend this out, it would be drafts and drafts and drafts. Even episodes themselves are like cut into pieces, and there are several drafts of each piece of each episode. And that's, again, because Shakira. Like, the drafts become our scripts. So we work within each of those drafts, listen to it, experience the tape, and then revise based on that previous version. Um, so yeah, and we even have like mic set up at our desk to put in scratch narration for like what we imagine a reporter or um, a host might say. So yeah, the first draft will be absolute trash. That is a given. I had to accept that um, pretty, pretty quickly. And the second one will be infinitesimally less trash. Uh, the third will be a little better. And you'll be get, it'll get better because your editor will give you notes. Maybe you realize something in the shower, and like you, you're like, ah, oh, we have to change everything. Um, or like the storyboard changes on you, and so you want to change the draft to reflect that. 
Uh, and so then you make a fourth and fifth graft, graft, draft, getting feedback from your editors each step of the way. And then you make yourself feel better, or at least I do, by making this sign, uh, which is, it says, make things without hating yourself. Uh, so one day I was really frustrated and I turned to Annie McEwen and Simon Adler, two very amazing humans and producers at Radiolab, and I asked them for a mantra <laughs> to like kind of help me work through this. And this is what they gave me, so I stuck it on my, a post-it note on my computer to help me keep going. Um, and I feel like this is pretty universal. It's just like we as creatives don't need ourselves to get in the way of our creative process and like reminding ourselves of that and you know is, is good. Um, but at a certain point, like maybe draft nine or 10, the drafts become less about what sounds clearly better and uh, more about editorial moves. Um, and it, this is a point where you might find yourself being surprised by something that isn't actually necessarily a good surprise. Because um, maybe it frames a character in a way that I, you might think is unfair or um, kind of brushes by a problem that you think deserves more attention. Um, so in a story like this, there was bound to be mo those moments of disagreement. And there were. Um, and that's when I found it really important, even given my position as an assistant editor, or assistant editor, assistant producer, to speak up. So this slide says, feel something, say something. I've been told to repeat the slides because it's going to be on a podcast, so uh, say it. Uh, <laughs> so for the producers out there, like maybe you're really early in your career, like me, and uh, maybe you're working with male editors or editors outside of your generation or those of a different race or culture, or in my case, all of the above. Um, and you have to say when something is bothering you. Um, and you can do this in a number of different ways um, in order to amplify your voice. So like, there was some, there's a piece of, there's a decision that was about to be made at the end of the home stretch. And I was like, oh no, this can't be. And so I sent like a very measured email um, describing that I like felt very strongly about this thing like, and describe my reasons why. But then I also followed it up with a text from my editor being like, hey, I really had a really visceral reaction to this not being in the piece. Or, and, uh, and he's just like, yep, got it. Like, and it ended up working. Like that totally worked. So there's, there were these moments when um, what I said I, I said something, I was listened to, and we changed what we did. And there were times when I said something, I was listened to, and we didn't change what we did. Um, and in both instances, I felt really heard and empowered to speak up. Um, and if something stayed in the story, the reason why is because like, if something stayed in the story um, and I sought out these answers, uh, I, I really like, asked for the reasons why. Like I wanted good reasons for why something was the case, especially if I felt like it was, if I felt really strongly about it. Um, so really, every year lab, like we're really lucky to be on a team that supports one another when there are these moments of disagreement, and we're people first and employees second. And there, the, those bounds of hierarchy don't really exist. We take everyone's opinion really seriously, um, and with work like this, especially, it's hard because everybody comes in with their own experiences. Um, and it can be hard when editorial decisions like truly feel like personal ones. I think it's different if you're working on a story about, you know, time or space, uh, as we've done in the past. But when you get into like emotional rawness, um, it can get tricky. So it's definitely worthwhile to recognize each other in that process and and feel that out. Um, and for the editors in the room, 
leave space for your team to voice their opinions and like open up the floor, because if that floor doesn't exist, they might not feel like there's room for that. Um, and if you decide to make a decision in the final cut that you know that people had problems with, you should do what my editor did and like have a really long G-hang conversation to explain like all of the ups and downs and considerations that it took to get to that point. Um, and seeing that process and that push and pull and tug of like the things that he was factoring in, it was really good. <laughs> like, I mean, it was good to see that there was struggle and that there was something there. I mean, of course, like, dependent on time and, and, and impact and like, we have a lot of time on Radiolab to, to do all of that, but it's really important just to feel, make people feel like they're being heard. I mean, truly, like, actually were heard and their things were considered. Um, so that happened for us with this story. I really hope that happens for everyone in this room. Um, so to recap, uh, identify what's surprising, like actually surprising, in your most cynical of cynical minds. Uh, consider group interviews as a way to elicit some surprise and kind of pull from the consciousness of the population that you're maybe trying to understand better. Um, question your premise, less preaching, more storytelling. Uh, iterate for better work and listen to each other. Thank you. Thank you. That was Becca Bressler and Bethel Hopte speaking at the 2018 Work It Festival. Both the festival and the podcast are produced by WNYC Studios and are made possible by a grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Event sponsors include Spotify, Captera, Stitcher, Art19, Pandora, Himalaya, and Yale School of Management. <laughs>